0: on today's episode of the mythic masculine
1: rites of passage is the like understanding that you are not just the same being that's born and then lives kind of in the same identity and frame until the moment of death but that there's actually a series of passageways that you pass through that where you were literally reborn again not that you're not necessarily the same being but that might have different identities and different functions, which is probably the key thing from a cultural point of view at each uh, successive passageway. And the journey of life is to successfully go through those passageways mm-hmm. into the, like you're playing a video game, you need to, you need to like get to the next level. Mm-hmm. And this is a mini level video game we're in of life as opposed to this one level
0: which is maybe the way I was taught. What does it mean to be a man today? The old archetypes of masculinity are dissolving, and the new ones are just beginning to rise. In the era of Me Too and biospheric collapse, how might we look to the old myths for guidance to navigate this space between stories? This podcast explores the historical, cultural, and contemporary voices that are shaping this dynamic conversation of the emerging masculine. John Wolfstone is a filmmaker, Wilderness Rites of Passage guide, and Sacred Clown focused on the work of cultural redemption. Over the past 10 years, he has been in service toward restorative justice, ancestral healing, and peace building in conflict zones from rural Guatemalan villages to Middle Eastern refugee camps and inner cities of the United States. In 2015, John and I began work on our feature documentary, Love School, exploring the radical research community of Tamara in southern Portugal. Later, we would be joined by another filmmaker, Julia Marianska. Since then, we have been on a deep journey of collaboration and brotherhood, complete with many bumps along the way. I am happy to have John in my studio today, where we discuss his own rite of passage through the lens of catastrophic personal heartbreak, which catapulted him on a journey into the underworld and back again. We speak about men's sexuality, the gateway of grief, and the perspective that we are now in a time of planetary initiation. A few years ago, I was in Australia and I offered a, uh, it, was, it was a talk about masculinity with a friend of mine, Eamon Armstrong. And at the talk, uh, one of the questions that I asked the men was, how do you know you are a man? Or it was something along those lines of, when did you know that you were a man? And I deliberately left it fairly open-ended that way. And it was fascinating to hear what came from the men. Because one, the responses were actually quite varied, right? It was, uh, oh, when my dad gave me my first beer, right? That's when I knew I was a man. Or when I drove, or I got my driver's license, that's when I knew I was a man. Or it was when I had sex for the first time with a woman, right? That was when I knew I was a man. And what I wanted to draw attention to by asking these men was, one, Uh, that it was somewhat of a confounding question, right? That maybe none none of them had really been asked before. But two, all of them had very different understandings about that threshold. And in a way, they were actually fairly uncertain about it. As in, nobody else had really confirmed or told them that that was what was happening. But it was something that later on they brought meaning to, to say, well, I guess in the absence of anything else happening, that, I guess, was the marker. That was the tone of it. And so I want to draw attention too to the fact that so much of this understanding of rites of passage in you know modern western culture is actually defined by its absence. And therefore there's a actually kind of a, a vague understanding about what that is, but also I'd say a rising kind of urgency actually for the recreation or the re-remembering of rites of passage. And I would say that a lot of young men in particular are deeply craving it, actually, um, even though they don't necessarily know that that's what they're craving. And they often seek it through mayhem, you know, like pushing the edges through extreme sports or, you know, seek, or drugs or whatever, seeking oblivion often as a way of of kind of trying to reach that threshold to, to mark this stage from one way of identity to the next. And I think that was uh, the case for you. John, in that you found whatever it was in your life that actually brought you to this deep longing for that and your willingness to to kind of seek it on your own. And maybe that's where I'd love to start today, actually, is to hear what brought you to that threshold of understanding that you needed this thing, maybe that you've never seen, never experienced before, and that drove you to to craft it on your own. Thank you, Ian. I really love that story Mm -hmm. and the, the insight
1: that you gleaned from that even the way that you uh, pose that, what it makes me uh, think of, and this will lead into my story, is Mm -hmm. this, the way that rites of passage are, I think, one of the most deeply inherent things to being human. Even some teachers have said that this is what makes you a human. Mm -hmm. And that human, I think that actually Stephen, Jenkins, who's a shared teacher of ours, said that human beings are made, not Mm -hmm. born. And they are made by the rites of passage that we go through, in order to be made, and that is so natural to being human, then what is it to be in this cultural moment in 2019 when we have lost something that is so deeply natural and we have to try to consciously remember or recreate, but do it in a way that is still true to the deeply naturalness that it was or the like indigeneity of what a like rite of passage actually is? So, for that to lead into my story, mm-hmm. I am a very modern uh, human being, like most people listening to this podcast. I have white skin. I was born in the middle of the uh, United States, in Colorado, in Pleasantville, and like Pleasantville, that's just too perfect. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't actually; it was about as Pleasantville as as you could get mm-hmm. growing up. And you know, with some diversions, but mostly so steering the course of culture or what the cultural plan that was laid out for me was, I found myself at age 26 living in San Francisco and I had a house and I had a job as a young a professional working in like a nonprofit in meaningful work and, you know, I had a car, I paid my insurance, I had essentially made it, you know, mm-hmm. at, at like everything that I essentially uh, understood making it to like be.
0: As a man in particular.
1: Especially as a man. Yeah, You know, I didn't yet have like a wife, but that was that was not far behind. And what I felt though inside was a deep hollowness. Mm-hmm. And any time I tapped into that feeling, and then allowed that feeling to become a place of vision, and imagined my life stretching out in the same manner that it was ten years from now, and looking at the people, the other men in my office. Mm who are 35, 40, I was scared shitless. Like the, the feeling was such a feeling of void that it felt similar actually to death. Mm-hmm. And there's this, this such an instinctual, like no, no way is this what life is meant to like be. And about that time, came across the writings of an eco-psychologist named Bill Plotkin. And he'd written a book all about this like underworld initiation journey that he had uh, researched and um, understood was like a cross-cultural practice Mm -hmm. um, around the world by which young people were culturally held, you know, by elders and mentors and guides through a deep encounter in the like underworld where they would essentially encounter something of their quote soul and by which from that like, journey, what would be wrought would be an understanding of their sole purpose mm-hmm. or their purpose to be here on this planet. And in reading this, what I understood, that void in me, was what, what that feeling was, was actually some level of existential crisis of not knowing as a human being why I'm on this planet. Mm-hmm. And what started to burn was like, if I don't actually know at age, whatever, 26, why I'm on this planet, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. Nothing else became more important. And I also understood this time, mostly from reading, Mm -hmm. is that that practice of this underworld journey that some could call initiation, it was at one level about finding one's life purpose, but simultaneously by doing that, one would be initiated into true adulthood. Mm -hmm. We could call like psychological or cultural adulthood. Mm -hmm. And even this idea that you don't just become an adult because you're whatever 18 and can vote and can drink alcohol or you're physically mature, but a certain psychological maturity is something that had to really happen through some kind of ordeal Mm -hmm. and through a really, depending on how you want to... frame it, a certain killing off or at least uh, stepping out of the childhood. Mm -hmm. And that had very different qualities. And I never heard this Mm -hmm. prior. And again,
0: this began to burn in me. So, Can I speak to you about this sense too? I I think when people hear that term, you know, kill off the child or, because especially in this culture now, there's kind of this renaissance of you just got to tap back into the inner child and and you let the inner child run free. And in all these ways that it sort of um, feels like the antidote to maybe this modern void that you're you've been speaking to and i think it's important distinction to say that there is a difference between childish and childlike that's one way i've heard the distinction but to say that you know as a child when you're growing up your ego identity is very much you are the center of the universe yeah like no question because you as a being that's just coming into this world and is trying to discover what does it even mean you know to be a being in this body and to have this perspective that it's fully normal and appropriate to be the center of your universe Absolutely. But then the challenge happens, of course, that you get to a certain age and many cultures realize that particularly for young men, if they themselves believe to be believe themselves to be the center of the universe past a certain age, they become dangerous to the village. They become dangerous. That usually vectors out in two ways. One is that they then um, are kind of bound to this false grandiosity, which is really, I think, bound to this deep longing that you're Mm -hmm. speaking to of, of purpose and meaning. Uh, which can manifest itself as, again, seeking oblivion or um, some kind of fame or like trying to make it in all the ways the culture says you should. Or it goes the other direction, which is depression and deep sense of self-worth or worthlessness, which, again, is really uh, endemic to men in this culture. And, you know, depression is deeply rampant and largely a cause of suicide and the rest. And not many understand that those are actually deeply bound together, a kind of false grandiosity or sort of deep depression and worthlessness.
1: And I think in some, in some ways what happens when this void feeling that can lead to these different paths gets um, awakened, it's that in a healthy culture, mm-hmm. that actually becomes a pathway, mm-hmm. a portal, into a like underworld journey.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the key is that that has to be held by some kind of culture, by some kind of container that can safely take you there. Mm-hmm. And what we're lacking in our world, and what I didn't have, was any sort of container Beyond a few people that had like written almost whispers about what this could be. Mm-hmm. Also to also posit in the world of rites of passage something that I wanted to clarify from what Ian spoke that I hear is actually a common misunderstanding in how we think of rites of passage or life stages of being human is that it's not from childhood to adulthood. It's actually childhood to adolescence, to adulthood, and things actually beyond mm-hmm. that, which mm-hmm. we can um, get to. And that each of this childhood, adolescence, and adulthood, each have their own function and their own gifts and their own challenges, and actually a rite of passage between them. Mm-hmm. So just to state that actually, as a 26-year-old, I was somewhere a mix of a child and a adolescent having not really even had a proper rite of passage between childhood and adolescence. Mm -hmm. And my understanding is that children are essentially devoid of ego. The ego hasn't even developed it. They're one Mm. with the universe, which is where this beautiful connectedness and play and freedom really is. Mm. But they're not self-aware at all. And at 12 and 13... This thing happens, we know as puberty, Mm -hmm. where these sexual and like spiritual capacities come online to being human that with that power is self-awareness for the the first time, which Mm -hmm. is like the seed of ego. Mm -hmm. And actually, the adolescent stage is all about ego development. Mm -hmm. It's actually a time. That's why kids try on um, identities and go from being like a goth to a punk to a prep all (laughs) in like high school And that's wonderful because it's actually the time to be a thespian and try on different masks Mm. because you're actually exploring what it is to be a participant of society where other people see you and you care about how they see you, which is part of the ego development Mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. So that happens at one level, but even not fully held in our culture. And it's from that adolescent stage of ego being the center by which there is pretty much uh, ubiquitously missing now in dominant culture the rite of passage to adulthood or Mm -hmm. true adulthood which is where you're shifting from an ego-centered to what i could say is like a soul centered or a purpose-centered place uh, in oneself where one's service to the whole actually becomes the primary relationship or vessel Mm -hmm. or um, identity Mm -hmm. in the world and what we see in the world is a bunch of like child, adolescent, especially men running the world. Like look Mm -hmm. at Donald Trump, where it's really about them at some level of ego trip, even if they're speaking about it being about like a higher cause. Mm -hmm. And there's something deeply that has to happen to one in order to actually innerly get to that place where you're able to truly be responsible to something bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. And from just understanding that this was a function that happened again cross-culturally in every indigenous culture around the world, something just clicked in me. It was almost like an uh, awakening that it was like, oh, this, this part of me that was a human that expected this to happen came online and became really thirsty. Mm-hmm. And like, this needs to happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So what ensued was me quitting like everything I had going on in my like, life to really focus on creating a space for this void feeling to be stepped into. And I didn't, I didn't know how. I didn't have any teachers, I didn't have any guides, I didn't have like Mm -hmm. a container, but I was like, I have to get initiated. I have to find out why I'm here Mm -hmm. on this planet. Mm -hmm. And that was the start of what became like a six or seven year, really, right of passage journey into um, initiation and into my soul purpose, Mm -hmm. which I feel like I'm actually just really now starting to be on the other side of. Mm It's a much bigger journey than I had a bargain for. And I can break down now some of the elements by which, like, that journey actually was and what I, like, understand that journey to be.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and I'd love for you to share a little bit, too. I understand you went to the desert on your own. Yeah. Maybe you could speak a bit to that and how that was for you.
1: The first, like, approach, again, from reading about this in a book, was to go on what's known as a vision quest, which is essentially where you go into the desert or you go into the wilderness, and you don't eat food for uh, three or four days and, like, nights and maintain totally... Alone. And the idea, the romantic um, idea had is that from that time, I'd be so essentially tripped out from the no food and from isolation in like nature that a purple coyote was going to walk out of like a (laughs) wall in the sand and speak to me my like life purpose.
0: I think there's a Simpsons episode with that.
1: That's exactly what it is. (laughs) I think that's exactly where the image um, came from. You know, and this is how Vision Quest is kind of romantically popularized Mm -hmm. in our culture. And so I had enough gall, and I don't know many people who have actually done this, where I'm like, I'm just going to go do that, you know? And it was like, this is going to be my like one-off answer to getting um, initiated. Mm-hmm. So I went to southern Utah after quite a long journey up to Alaska and really stepping into this identity of being a like seeker in this way. And I went into the desert for three nights and three days and fasted um, alone. I had one other friend who was with me kind of doing the same thing at the time. And on my last night there, something very powerful happened and I could say was dangerous in that I did almost lose myself
2: Mm.
1: into some other world. Like if you legitimately go in the woods right now and don't eat food for three days and try to like connect to what is out there, something will happen. But what was happening was happening in a completely uncontained way. And there was this moment, actually, where I felt a threshold. I saw a like threshold out there that I could step into something. And at the moment of my about to be stepping across that threshold, it was like there was a moment, a flash of consciousness where I zoomed out mm. 200 feet above my body. And I was like, I am just a, like, stupid white kid who read about this in a book that has no idea what I'm reckoning with. And, like, I need guidance if I'm actually going to come into this realm. Mm-hmm. And I promptly turned around and went back to the fire that I made and was happy watching my own shadow dance upon the, like, cave wall around the, like, kind of overhanging cave that I was camping in. Mm-hmm. And that was, wow. my, that was my reckoning of, like, this is actually something very big, primal, and profound that I cannot just do myself Mm -hmm. and was actually very dangerous to be doing myself. And later from a lot of study and finally coming into some cultural basis for it, I think was a very wise and I say blessed insight at that time, because really initiation in particular of the various rites of passage there are is about an encounter with death. Mm -hmm. And it's that encounter with death that is actually what shifts one from an ego um, identity, because mm-hmm. ego is actually constantly fearing its own death, mm-hmm. to be able to step into a soul-centric point of view where one has reckoned with or acknowledged or wrestled with one's own death to actually just know and integrate that that is coming. Mm-hmm. And actually, you could say at one level, the entire culture we have out here, which you could say is a uninitiated culture, mm-hmm. is a culture that has not accepted its own death or full of individuals that have not accepted death as like an inherent
0: principle of life. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, I want to expand that a little bit as well because I did a film recently called uh, Lost Nation Road with a mutual teacher you mentioned named Stephen Jenkinson. Mm-hmm. And he himself has been called the grief walker and spent many years in palliative care and really saw the kind of front line of the palliative industry, but also this very moment, this encounter with death that so many people came to, and I mean his words he used, um, that they came to their own deaths as amateurs. Mm-hmm as if for the first time, because for many it was the first time, but in their first time was when it was upon them. And so there's something I think you're touching on there with initiation, which is really meant to bring about a meaningful encounter with death at a time when I think there's the opportunity where it can orient one's life towards, uh, as you say, a purpose centric or even a life centric understanding where death no longer becomes this executioner, you know, in the distance, constantly hovering, uh, that you're trying desperately in order to not think about and uh, kind of sustain uh, your life as much as possible, which you spoke about often is the, is the function of the ego, you know, it's terrified of its own oblivion. But instead, bring them to an understanding where um, that death is actually an angel. Uh, it's a companion now in your own life and that it gives it discernment, actually, about what's meaningful in life. And in that sense, Introduces you to the big story, and that itself is kind of what binds, but binds one to, I think, you know, the the kind of vastness of and interrelatedness of life. Which, again, if if one was to encounter that without the context of culture or with elders or or the rest, it can just be traumatic. In fact, and that is, I think, the difference between many people who say, "Oh, you know, I got in a car accident. It was like an initiation," or you know, I hit rock bottom with drugs and alcohol, and that was like my initiation. That's not to say those things can't be deeply valuable, but that they end up actually doing deep harm often because that there's there's not a measured and kind of intentional way of being brought to that threshold through others that can also bring you back and and integrate that in a meaningful way. And I know from your own journey that you did come back, and I understand that you then were drawn to an actual culturally held pathway into initiation. And I'd love for you to speak a bit about that.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Ian. You know, what's um, interesting, and I love um, everything that you just said. You know, first, just to say the follow up with you that I'd say the core of like a mythic men's movement, or really what I understand it means to be a man, is a masculine being who has a relationship with death.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like mm-hmm. that, as I say, what the core of it is. And that's a, a relationship that is continued throughout, throughout life, and mm-hmm. death becomes this like angelic companion. You know, with 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 its own a heavy hand, but that is with you throughout your life after this moment by which when you reach death, you are facing it not for the first time. So in my own journey, what happened, and I'd say that a lot of this was led as my journey being a, a human spiritual being has been through a lot of synchronicity mm. to the Middle East, to the land of my ancestors, one of the lands of my ancestors, and eventually actually to come back to North America and take part in Lakota-style vision quest ceremony in a held community of people, which actually is a four-year ceremony of doing a similar thing of going out on a vision quest, but held by 60-plus people who are planting you, who are eating and drinking for you when you're out there, who are coming to harvest you, and most importantly, held by like elder guides who know what they are doing and have walked this path enough to be uh, accomplished, to be uh, holding it. Mm -hmm. And it was a complete different thing where the ceremony had an actual approach that there was like a year of approaching. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And it actually for me became a four-year portal of going on this journey of Vision Quest four times in a culturally held way where I was actually able to, throughout those four years, Face death in a way where I was actually safe enough to surrender to what that is. Mm. And it was this interesting psychological dance of both having the trust that, like, whatever going to happen, I'll be fine. But also coming to places where, like, I knew that I might die. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And actually coming to moments where, like, I had to accept my, like, essentially having moments. This is also a ceremony where I wasn't drinking water, where it was so hot in the New Mexican um, desert in, like, late June and the sun was being down so hard and I didn't water in three or four days where I really thought like this is it. Like my body cannot go on. I'm going to die right now. And the only thing left to do was really to surrender to it. Or that was mm-hmm. really what happened. By coming to a level where actually I had to come into a relationship with something so much greater than myself where I had to ask for help. Mm-hmm. So of will ask for mercy and get completely humbled as a man, as a quote man, as a, as a being that acknowledged that like, I'm not the center of the like show. I'm not even the show at all. Mm. There's something so much bigger going on here, but I couldn't actually find that place in myself if there weren't held conditions to put me into that level of like ordeal, mm-hmm. which is, which is really what it, what it is. And you could say it a different way, like vision quest or initiation in general is like intentional trauma, Mm-hmm. It is intentional, well-crafted trauma mm-hmm. that is necessary in order to actually psychologically, like, be shaken from this adolescent consciousness into a different consciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when it's not there, this is why you see people that with the same feeling or intention being drawn to gigs, being drawn towards like hazing. Like a lot of these, I'd say, so al-
0: youth youth rites of passage. Yeah, anyway. yeah. There's, like, there's, but but there's, not held in that. There's a lot so. of
1: unheld rites of pastors actually define the world we're in that are very dangerous because we're not giving youth that are actually desiring it at some deep level they don't even understand to really face fear and death in this way you could say like um, extreme sports Mm -hmm. there's one entire field of people probably uninitiated needing to feel that feeling of being so alive Mm -hmm. and not having really a hell way to do it so it just goes on and on and on forever and and i can say now having gone through this portal Like I used to be the guy that wants to do a lot of um, extreme things and there's like something really shifted where that doesn't interest me at all anymore Mm -hmm. because I actually know how sacred and important my life is and the important role that I have. And not Mm in some grandiose way of trying to be a hero, which Mm -hmm. is another thing we could talk about, but Mm -hmm. that like life is precious enough and there's enough here wanting my help that from a place of love I want to show up for and that's really, I think, what it is, actually, is I think slipping into becoming a being, becoming a man that is living a love center life where the like, joy of being able to serve is what is filling me, which mm. is so much better than any egoic thing could. And I find that every day I get to hang out with your kid or like others, just the like immediacy and presence and fullness, for which I feel being able to be in service to this to this being, whatever that may be.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, I wanted to touch on one aspect too. You mentioned, which was, on the one hand, this the hero, right? And go back to the the structure of the archetypes that are used often, particularly in men's rites of passage, such as you know, mankind project, of which uh, I myself has a bit of experience there. I've done their new warrior training, which specifically is or was a response to the naming of the absence of rites of passage for men. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of kick started with Robert Bly and Iron John, uh, as well as the book King Warrior Magician Lover. That, that really started with that sense of like, hey, we need to we need to really take this seriously in a way, like to craft a re remembering of these rites of passage. And these groups now, in particular, Mankind Project, I believe, is uh, you know quote initiated maybe thirty thousand men or something around the world, uh, including myself through their their process. And you know, on the one hand, the the challenge with that, on the one hand, it's really amazing, you know, for the one that they've been able to achieve that, and I want to give great appreciation that I myself as well. Had a really profound experience within it, and I think the the missingness that is really important to name is that, you know, it, it's it's one it's sought by the men who are doing it, so they're choosing to you know sign up or to to do the work, and that, that inherently is different than what be, what would have been a cultural held rite of passage, which is it's not chosen by the people who go through it because it's chosen otherwise it's chosen from the egoic level, right? Which basically mm-hmm. if you yourself quote, the ego, is searching for the thing that you believe is going to end your, your identity, your ego identity, but it's your ego who's choosing it. So it's actually you're inherently sabotaging the process from the outset because you're the one who's kind of opting for it. So one. Mm-hmm. Two, at the end of the weekend um, or any, any kind of sort of weekendish you know, initiation process, you're inherently turned back to a culture which doesn't know how to hold, quote, initiated people. Right. So essentially, this is what happens a lot with men is they, they go back to their families and they're like, hey, how was that weekend? And, you know, you bang some drums in the forest naked with other men, you know, haha. Ha. And uh, really, it's really hard to sustain that initiated understanding after the fact. And and so again, inherently, it becomes in that sense, like a, a the, the amnesia of the culture sets in, you know, deeply. I feel like you want to jump in.
1: Well, just I mean, everything you're saying, I feel so familiar with mm-hmm. like, the addiction workshop culture mm-hmm. that I think has, I've been in some of these men's workshops before in different ways. And I think it's beautiful as like a first exposure mm-hmm. for men or for humans into like another possibility, a possibility of community and being held and some like mm-hmm. crafted um, rituals or um, ordeals. But true initiation, I think, is most akin to taking the red pill in the like matrix. Mm. And it actually becomes a lifetime, especially in this moment. I think without one, the greater context of the moment we're in as a species on this like planet. Mm-hmm. Actually, so for me, what really comes is like, what is the purpose by which we should have a mythic men's movement, or we mm. should become a shade? Because actually, for me, it's not fully honest. It was just like, oh, other cultures have done this. I should do it. It's actually the existential feeling I was feeling was a reflection of a greater existential moment we're in as a species it's not it's not just that oh like having a nine-to-five job getting a wife and kids in a house didn't feel like fun mm-hmm. it was that i didn't actually believe in the like the viability the survivability of that pathway
2: mm-hmm. and
1: something else was touching me about like holy shit like I'm in danger, like our world is in danger. The mm-hmm. thing that gives me life mm-hmm. is in like danger. And I think what we're talking about is, as a movement, is a greater greater identity of men stepping into their adulthood, going through some sort of initiation so that as a collective, we can become in service to, to a something, which would mean we'd have to actually reckon with the moment we're in as a collective. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I feel I don't think it was fully devoid from what, like, Bly and them were doing back in the, like, 80s. And I feel like it wasn't even just as on the surface as it is now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think for me, that is that is kind of the core of why this work matters. And there's a few things I want to touch to um, on that. Mm-hmm. Want,
0: what can we, yeah, yeah. One thing I want to name, too, is also this element of the hero. Yeah. Yeah. And I mentioned earlier, like the MKP Mankind Project and their use of the the archetypal frame, which largely I understand came from Jung and his understanding of archetypes, the king, warrior, magician, lover. And uh, one thing they talk about is, you know, there's there's essentially boy psychology, which the all four of those quadrants have the kind of boy equivalent. They also have their positive and their shadow elements. But at the center is the divine child. And the divine child is is in some sense, it's like the Christ nature. It's like the pure, innocent boy which lies at the center of every man you know say say, goes the map but on the um the the hero element itself is in some sense it's like that part in the in the boy that actually does want to be of service that does want to really you know whether it's to show up on behalf of the downtrodden or in many ways actually unconsciously to sort of banish or defeat the pain of the mother which is a whole other topic, which I don't know if we'll get into today. I could do a whole episode on that. Um, but to say, you know, inherently the the heroic psychology, though, is limited. And, you know, on the some sense, I'm actually really curious to track this on a cultural level at the moment, how, you know, superhero movies have become back so strong these days, which really actually embodies such a really an adolescent worldview in a way of good and evil. Yep. And at the same time, there's something in the initiatory process. And you talked about this idea of surrender that the end of the hero is really when they are brought to the brink of their own limitation. When they encounter death, that they realize, oh, like, I'm limited. Like, I, I can't save the world, quote, you know, in quotations. Mm-hmm. I can't save everybody. I can't save my mother. I can't, I can't even, quote, save myself, in a sense, from, from death even. And there's something about that blistering encounter which is meant to reorganize this orientation to for me, what I actually really appreciate about in say the meds movement as well is that it reorients this idea away from hero as the lone wolf into brotherhood. I actually believe that this is a threshold from this like so many men are actually craving this, but they don't know it until they go through something like this. and then all of a sudden it awakens and it was for me this deep trust and almost relief in me as a man that like, oh, wow, I don't have to do it alone. There's other brothers who are also, they care deeply. And like, I can trust in men that they're also engaged in this. And it really brought me to tears, actually, when I when I touched that place within my own experience and, there. And actually, it's that point of doing it alone, which is the
1: crucible of the healing point, both personally and culturally. Because mm-hmm. it's actually essential. Actually, it's like the future of life on this planet depends on stepping out of the psychology that we're going to do it alone which you correctly labeled as a like adolescent heroic psychology and it's like another way to frame it of the cultural context we're in is that we've been for about two thousand years dominated by the archetype of the hero martyr which is like Mm. two aspects of the same um, archetype best embodied by christ Mm. and that you need to be the hero which is in some level a martyr in order to really make the things happen, right? Mm. And then we've created a world where that archetype is the dominant archetype running the colonial capitalistic uh, machine, which is essentially a machine by which we are sending this planet across so many like thresholds of its, of, of its ability to uh, mm. regeneratively be able to hold life. And the only way that 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 bigger story would like shift and we'd come into a, a regenerative future, like sustainable healthy beautiful future is for that primary human archetype of the hero martyr to shift which means getting out of having to do it alone or make it alone or be a hero alone it's not mm-hmm. even just that that's harder that's actually what is killing the planet and i think that the first thing so i think one thing is that culturally in that moment like it's beautiful what you said about that moment in the story of the hero breaking down but that's not the story that where most of the stories we are given or have been given, at least for the ones that we grew up with, and you said are still being replicated now, is the hero, and we've, we're yet we're very like narrowly starting to get into the realm where there where I see, and you and me are both of filmmakers, we're tracking in mass media, there are stories being played out that are moving beyond the hero mythology, and like people still love Joseph Campbell the hero's journey, mm-hmm. but I'd say that's actually in a like outdated map still caught in a culturally adolescent consciousness. So what does that really mean then to move, you know, from the hero into the next, like, you could say in a, like, write a passage from the hero as the adolescent into something else, which is really, I'd say, an adult who is a member mm-hmm. that is connected in community, in a team, in a group with other members of society, knowing that actually they're Stepping out being a hero is the very thing that like actually will harm that mm. group or that like a society and not serve it anymore
0: yes beautiful thank you and maybe to name this too in case I mean I get passionate about this you do too and it's not to say we have we're sitting with this idea that we've just discovered this isn't this amazing like I feel really clearly that any kind of exploration around indigenous culture like this is what I feel the core of indigenous understanding about human making of place-based relationships and of identity, um, being part of the larger family of all relations. So in that sense, I do feel like we are rediscovering it as a kind of wayward Western culture that, you know, it's taken a long jaunt, let's say, away from this deeper level of connectivity and perhaps for a purpose. Again, like I don't know to wager in on that, what the quote purpose would be for this sort of great forgetting as others, I believe Charles Eisenstein and others have talked about. But just to say that, yes, we're returning to that deeper understanding again, and perhaps with a different octave, a different ring on the spiral now, that that it's happening again now. And why is it happening again now? So I just wanted to name that. Now, I I do want to actually give you time, though, to speak to another aspect of initiation, Mm -hmm. which is the uh, encounter with the feminine, which I feel is also like a really big piece, particularly for for men. And I'd love to hear your story on that. Great. Thank you. I mean, I need to speak. First,
1: and I'll weave into the encounter with the feminine part. Sure. Just one thing about this. You know, I say that indigenous cultures fully knew this about not the hero. And actually, Archon, who was my teacher guide for the Lakota-style initiation that I uh, went through, said that in his culture that there wasn't a word for devil. And when, like, Christian colonizers came, the closest word to devil was this word supai, was actually in their indigenous language meant um, outstanding. Mm. That the closest thing to being a devil that the indigenous people that he came from understood was to be outstanding in some way, to be like a hero. That in their culture they already knew was so dangerous and Mm. so Mm -hmm. unhealthy. And I think that indigenous peoples around the world did, did know. And I think that that I could say was like, a glorious period of connection for the human species and we're in a 2019 moment of being globalized where you could say that there's been the same kind of egoic adolescent consciousness where now cultures meet each other and socialize and that the same way that a like adolescent kind of like uh, forgets some of the beauty of what it means to be a child but it's on the way very naturally to being an adult. I'd say we're in a cultural moment where I don't see anything as being wrong. I don't actually see humans have gotten off course if we like understand. This is been our like adolescence where adolescents do tend to like burn the house down unless they come eventually into like a initiatory rite of passage moment, which is the moment we're in where if you think of a initiation as the facing of death, which I which I mm-hmm. I uh, posited as the facing of death, we're now in a moment of the sixth great mass um extinction where literally we are creating death all over this planet, and as a species we're having to think about our own extinction. If the human body is one mm-hmm. collective, we're thinking about our own death, and that is awakening something, just mm-hmm. calling upon all of us as like individuals, as men, to step into our own um, initiation journeys. Mm-hmm. And with that, now how that links to the feminine. So. Being human is pretty amazing. At the very core, you could say, at the origin of life of being human is a sexual dimorphism, essentially being, wow. being uh, that there was a shift. You could say the greatest shift, I'd say, on this planet in terms of biological evolution was the shift from mitosis to meiosis, hmm. where it shifted from being single-cell organisms that just cloned to um, organisms that genetically mixed through some sort of sexual process which allowed this explosion of diversity and like evolution. And it's been that core of there needing to be a sexual dimorphism, like essentially two different sexes mm. that then would genetically mix. And that's how life goes on. And that's carried through. There has not been like maybe for a few rare cases of something different, that's the primary means but the primary means by which evolution happens on this planet. Mm. So here we are in 2019 with a lot of complex questions about gender. Mm-hmm. And still primarily, there is a sexual division where there are male-bodied creatures and female-bodied creatures. Where, well, However it happens, which now can happen in test tubes or whatever, but primarily through sex, mm-hmm. where those were the masculine and feminine genes, you know, X and Y chromosomes need to mix in order for new life to be created. Mm-hmm. So it's basing that as like a basis, okay? You could say that, and I think this is saying that Carl Jung understood or you say like discovered in a way that Human beings in our psyches. We have a like unconscious and the unconscious in men is known as the animus mm. And the unconscious is women is known as as the anima point is that actually the unconscious of men is the like Feminine it is the feminine that we are not conscious with and in women the unconscious is the masculine, and you can say in some ways, in that underworld journey we go on, facing death, it is also a like reckoning with that other like side of us. And that through that like journey of reckoning with the unconscious, which would be kind of in the gender or sexuality that you're not, you actually emerge as a initiated being, as a like integrated being. It's maybe in a male body or a female body, but that mm-hmm. is carrying both like. A awareness of their masculine and feminine sides and qualities and powers mm-hmm. and ability to tap into that. Can, and, I, can I jump yeah. yeah.
0: Just to say, uh, there's a book, uh, Long Life, Honey in the Heart, which is uh, Martin Prechtel. Yeah. And that, that really speaks about and gives a look into the initiation of the boys and girls within this village, I believe in Guatemala. He has a strong role that he plays there. And I, I was struck actually by one phrase he used about the boys that they're brought into a cave, I think, for a number of days in that initiatory journey. And I think the the line he said is something like, "It is their task to retrieve their feminine soul." Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I hear that in what you're saying as well that there's something about making the the unconscious conscious or integrated. Why that is so important, actually. And I actually feel this is a distinction from previous maybe waves of men's movement where. I mean, and and then the feminist kind of call that men need to become more feminine, right? Or or you know f- integrate their feminine side, or because I think a lot of what Bly did, and uh, of course the Mankind Project or other uh, men's responses was in fact to kind of say, well, look, wait a second, we we don't chuck out everything that's masculine, and then we have you know sort of better men. Uh, that there's actually there is something that is could be called the masculine qualities or essences that say you know that's problematic but there's just something there and that there's a way to actually bring them into a more integrated or or maybe a more noble or expression within a man and so this re- re- retrieval of the feminine soul as well to me is different than feminizing like that there's something else there that i feel is really interesting and to say that again looking at the culture at large and just to name this briefly that You know, patriarchy, which is often gets bandied around a lot as, you know, the the problem, the ultimate problem. And in some sense, perhaps it is the best word, perhaps that, you know, is is shorthand. But of course, there's a lot of problems with that. But archetypally speaking or mythically speaking, uh, patriarchy doesn't mean the rule of men. What it means is the rule of the father. Right. Which is which is an important distinction. And in particular, I would say at least how it's manifesting now in in modern culture is the rule of the father who has not integrated the feminine. Because if you think to Me Too, like what is a mythic understanding of Me Too? And I'm, um, I, I suggest that it could be that it's essentially men predating on the feminine for that access to, quote, I don't know, the feminine source or the feminine essence that they themselves don't have access to because they're uninitiated and haven't gone through that process. So they, they are predators of that energy. And the Me Too is a kind of collective response from the feminine saying, no more like far enough this is over but if that understanding vectors towards a few bad apples you know harvey weinstein and you know whoever blah 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 if it becomes this kind of punitive get rid of the bad men and then you know again we'll fix the problem or that it's something to do with men in general they're just defective and all that kind of stuff again it's missing this deeper archetypal mythic understanding and so i just want to name that relation to initiation actually that there's something showing up there that is part of what is the missingness in in that process
1: yeah to continue on the thread i think another way you could understand patriarchy is as the dominance of the unintegrated masculine Mm. if you say the men's movement or the journey of initiation as a man is to integrate the masculine this is the like secret like million dollar point i to tell you right now the journey to integrating the masculine is to integrate the feminine. Mm. You Mm. cannot integrate the masculine Mm. until you integrate or encounter or make peace with. Mm. It's a different thing, right, if you're in a male Uh body. But in order to integrate, because it's by knowing the feminine that the masculine can actually know itself. You Mm. actually need that reflection. And it's that source of, like, reflective consciousness that mm. comes when the masculine and feminine meet mm. um, each other, that something else can be, like, awakened and, like, integrated. Mm. And this is why, you know, the groundless now in, like, the human world, like, at least for me and my experience being human, I'd say for most humans that I've met, but I know not all, but I'd say most, there is this, especially coming online of line at the adolescent moment, this in deepest instinctual drive towards sex, mm. which is, encounter with a another being and I know I'm speaking now as a like hetero which is like I typically as a man I'm attracted to female-bodied people and a cis man a man that identifies or feels like the body I was given as a man is what I feel also inside so I'm speaking now from that lens of me encountering women but I say it can happen actually in many different ways but I'd say even in those other ways There are certain like energetics that I bet if there is more research, you could see play out in a certain kind of way, whatever that those kind of things. It's a whole nother 20 uh, episodes that could be explored (laughs) in the very interesting world. I think there's a lot, we have a lot to Mm -hmm. learn from for me as a man, when I'm approaching sexuality with a woman, there is something about encountering a reflection Mm. in like the most primal way that is both unification and the most powerful mirror that. Is terrifying because it's oh. actually mirroring to myself and everything that I that I is to be human in myself and I'd say even most modern rites of passage work like vision quest people that I uh, respect this element of the walking the path of what it is to be a sexual being and that being like part of this um, initiation journey is often left out mm. and the place mm-hmm. I have found that in is in this eco village in Portugal, Tamara, which you and me have been doing a film on for the last five years, where they actually under they actually understand that stepping into sexuality and healthily, culturally being held, stepping into uh, sexuality as a human being, as a man or a woman or all the other um, identities we can have, is core to actually coming into the fullest expression of um, adulthood, fullest expression of what it is to be a human being. And I found there. There's a lot I had to reckon with in facing women, actually physically on the ground, in love, in romance, in sex, that without doing that, I wouldn't actually be where I'm
0: at now on the other side of something. Just to give a little more background about the Research Center of Temera in Portugal, is um, they actually started in the late 60s as a a kind of response to a lot lot of the movement towards kind of collectivism and, and trying to create an alternative to capitalism and the dominant culture. And they actually managed to successfully plant the seeds of this completely new culture that now has been there for over 40 years, actually, in the community. And as John mentioned, we've been making a film about, in particular, their school of love. Uh, The Global Love School, which we've attended a number of years now, and that film is in post-production coming out next year. And John has a very profound story about uh, his own particular journey with approaching the feminine and the sexual initiation that he experienced there. It is such a big topic. I know a little of the story. He's actually written a few essays on it, and I would love to give it a ton of room. So I think we're going to save that for part two of this podcast. And for now, though, I think, John, if there's anything you want to add about it now, maybe as a little bit of a teaser... Uh, before we move to wrapping this episode.
1: Yeah, thanks Ian. You know, I think that the place that Robert Bly in the men's movement of the 80s got us to was uh, incredible. And I think that rites of passage and you could say zeitgeist or the spirit of the, the times is really like defined by the context of the moment that we're in. Mm-hmm. And in this moment, as you said, with Me Too and these other movements cresting that are so much about facing the utter confusion and violence and dominance that has been of the masculine like suppressing and sexually violating the feminine mm. for so long you really can't actually i think i think that there is something lacking which isn't just like lacking but i'd say will become a achilles heel in the building of healthy culture if sexuality is not approached and integrated in modern rites of passage work mm-hmm. especially for men i think feminine that's already see- i see it happening i see it happening in the women that i know who are, who are in like a woman's group so our co-director julie and a bunch of women i know down in california have been going through very well held adulthood rites of passage um initiations which talks about not just like their moon time and what it means to be a woman that bleeds, but like what it is also to be a sexual being. But Mm -hmm. I, you know, I know some workshops like David Data and people that are talking about like Mm -hmm. being a better lover as a man, but it is never positioned in how that might relate to one's purpose on this planet Mm -hmm. and the greater purpose we have as men of Mm -hmm. becoming stewards and like protectors of life and only adults that can help us move through this initiation that we're in as a species. And I want to say then, in some ways, something that's always been a kind of like uh, inspiring metaphor story for like me about like a myth about the moment that we're like in. Mm-hmm. You know, in all these ancient fairy tales, there's like a monster. And this monster is like this big thing that comes. It's this force that disrupts everything. And that ultimately like the people have to like, kill or heal or integrate but essentially get through in order to get to the like better world i remember gary snyder this incredible eco poet philosopher who's in his 90s now down in california one of the original beats he said if only we could know you know where is like the hidden heart of this like Mm. global growth monster is like devouring monster that's eating up the earth right now if only we knew where this hidden heart was we could then possibly sling the like arrow mm-hmm. that would shoot that that arrow and hit that like hidden heart and finally defeat this monster. And he, he was speaking about this like mythically in you know, a more of a fairytale point away. And what really came to me last summer in reading this and thinking about this is like, oh my God, Eros, like sexuality Eros in some ways is this hidden heart mm. where it is this very point of, Actual, like our ability to be gods in a way, to be creators. And where we reckon with death, where so much of the core of like where patriarchy and the suppression of the feminine started. This is like the hidden portal by which maybe something that can become liberated or activated or matured. And not just us as like individuals, but as a a species. Mm. And that for me is so much of what that journey at uh, Tamara was where I had certain encounters towards sexual um, initiation with like a whole like ritualized temple priestess culture there. Hmm. That can be on a next story. Wow.
0: This completes part one of this podcast episode. To listen to part two, where John speaks in depth about his sexual initiation at Tamara, please visit my Patreon page and become a supporter you'll get access to the second hour of this episode along with additional bonus hours for every episode to come featuring more in-depth stories and commentary check the Patreon link in the show notes or you can visit patreon.com slash Mac. that's patreo dot slash i-a-n-m-a-c-k if you liked what you heard be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you're listening and leave a comment Until next time.